the Catechetical Lectures of St. Cyril, Archbishop of Jerusalem. Nineteenth Lecture, the First Mystagogical Lecture. From the First Epistle of Blessed Peter the Apostle. Be sober and watch, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, goeth about seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist ye, strong in faith, knowing that the same affliction befalls your brethren who are in the world? But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little, will himself perfect you and confirm you, and establish you. To him be glory and empire forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I think, I have written briefly, beseeching and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. The church that is in Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, as so doth my son Mark. Salute one another with a holy kiss. Grace be to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. I have long been wishing, O true-born and dearly beloved children of the Church, to discourse to you concerning these spiritual and heavenly mysteries. But since I well knew that seeing is far more persuasive than hearing, I waited for the present season, that finding you more open to the influence of my words from your present experience, I might lead you by the hand into the brighter and more fragrant meadow of the paradise before us, especially as ye have been made fit to receive the more sacred mysteries after having been found worthy of divine and life-giving baptism. Since, therefore, it remains to set before you a table of the more perfect instructions, let us now teach you these things exactly, that ye may know the effect wrought upon you on that evening of your baptism. First, ye entered into the vestibule of the baptistry, and there, facing towards the west, ye listened to the command to stretch forth your hand, and as in the presence of Satan ye renounced him. Now ye must know that this figure is found in ancient history. For when Pharaoh, that most bitter and cruel tyrant, was oppressing the free and high-born people of the Hebrews, God sent Moses to bring them out of the evil bondage of the Egyptians. Then the doorposts were anointed with the blood of a lamb, that the destroyer might flee from the houses which had the sign of the blood and the Hebrew people was marvelously delivered. The enemy, however, after their rescue, pursued after them, and saw the sea wondrously parted for them. Nevertheless, he went on, following close in their footsteps, and was all at once overwhelmed and engulfed in the Red Sea. Now turn from the old to the new, from the figure to the reality, there we have Moses sent from God to Egypt. Here, Christ sent forth from his Father into the world. There, 
that Moses might lead forth an afflicted people out of Egypt, here, that Christ might rescue those who are oppressed in the world under sin. There, the blood of a lamb was the spell against the destroyer. Here, the blood of the lamb without blemish, Jesus Christ, is made the charm to scare evil spirits. There, the tyrant was pursuing that ancient people even to the sea. And here, the daring and shameless spirit, the author of evil, was following thee even to the very streams of salvation. The tyrant of old was drowned in the sea, and this present one disappears in the water of salvation. But nevertheless, thou art bidden to say, with arm outstretched towards him as though he were present, I renounce thee, Satan. I wish also to say, wherefore ye stand facing to the west, for it is necessary since the West is the region of sensible darkness, and he, being darkness, has his dominion also in darkness. Therefore, looking with a symbolical meaning towards the West, ye renounce that dark and gloomy potentate. When then did each of you stand up and say, I renounce thee, Satan, thou wicked and most cruel tyrant, meaning, I fear thy might no longer, for that Christ hath overthrown, having partaken with me of flesh and blood, that through these he might by death destroy death, that I might not be made subject to bondage forever. I renounce thee, thou crafty and most subtle serpent. I renounce thee, plotter as thou art, who under the guise of friendship didst contrive all disobedience and work apostasy in our first parents. I renounce thee, Satan, the artificer and abettor of all wickedness. Then, in a second sentence, thou art taught to say, and all thy works. Now the works of Satan are all sin, which also thou must renounce. Just as one who has escaped a tyrant has surely escaped his weapons also. All sin, therefore, of every kind is included in the works of the devil. Only know this that all that thou sayest, especially at that most thrilling hour, is written in God's books. When, therefore, thou doest anything contrary to these promises, thou shalt be judged as a transgressor. Thou renouncest, therefore, the works of Satan, I mean, all deeds and thoughts which are contrary to reason. Then thou sayest, and all his pomp, now the pomp of the devil is the madness of theaters, and horse races, and hunting, and all such vanity, from which that holy man, praying to be delivered, says unto God, Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. Be not interested in the madness of the theater, where thou wilt behold the wanton gestures of the players, carried on with mockeries and all unseemliness, and the frantic dancing of effeminate men, nor in the madness of them who in hunts expose themselves to wild beasts, that they may pamper their miserable appetite, who to serve their belly with meats become themselves in reality meat for the belly of untamed beasts. And to speak justly for the sake of their own god, their belly, they cast away their life headlong, in single combats. Shun also horse races, that frantic and soul-subverting spectacle. 
for all these are the pomp of the devil. Moreover, the things which are hung up at idol festivals, either meat or bread or other such things polluted by the invocation of the unclean spirits, are reckoned in the pomp of the devil. For as the bread and wine of the Eucharist, before the invocation of the holy and adorable Trinity, were simple bread and wine, while after the invocation the bread becomes the body of Christ, and the wine the blood of Christ, so in like manner such meats belonging to the pomp of Satan, though in their own simple nature, become profane by the invocation of the evil spirit. After this, thou sayest, and all thy service. Now the service of the devil is prayer in idol temples, things done in honor of lifeless idols, the lighting of lamps, or burning of incense by fountains or rivers, as some persons cheated by dreams or by evil spirits do resort to this thinking to find a cure even for their bodily ailments. Go not after such things. The watching of birds, divination, omens, or amulets, or charms written on leaves, sorceries, or other evil arts, and all such things are services of the devil. Therefore shun them. For if, after renouncing Satan and associating thyself with Christ, thou fall under their influence, thou shalt find the tyrant more bitter, perchance because he treated thee of old as his own, and relieved thee from his hard bondage, but has now been greatly exasperated by thee, so thou wilt be bereaved of Christ, and have experience of the other. Hast thou not heard the old history which tells us of Lot and his daughters? Was not he himself saved with his daughters when he had gained the mountain, while his wife became a pillar of salt, set up as a monument forever in remembrance of her depraved will and her turning back? Take heed therefore to thyself, and turn not again to what is behind, having put thine hand to the plough, and then turning back to the salt savour of this life's doings. But escape to the mountain, to Jesus Christ, that stone hewn without hands, which has filled the world. When therefore thou renouncest Satan, utterly breaking all thy covenant with him, that ancient league with hell, there is opened to thee the paradise of God, which he planted towards the east. Whence, for his transgression, our first father was banished, and a symbol of this was thy turning from west to east, the place of light. Then thou wert told to say, I believe in the Father, and in the Son, and in the Holy Ghost, and in one baptism of repentance, of which things we spoke to thee at length in the former lectures, as God's grace allowed us. Guarded, therefore, by these discourses, be sober, for our adversary, the devil, as was just now read, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. But though in former times death was mighty and devoured, at the holy laver of regeneration God has wiped away every tear from off all faces. For thou shalt no more mourn, now that thou hast put off the old man. Thou shalt keep holy day, clothed in the garment of salvation, 
even Jesus Christ. And these things were done in the outer chamber. But if God will, when in the succeeding lectures on the mysteries we have entered into the Holy of Holies, we shall there know the symbolical meaning of the things which are there performed. Now to God the Father, with the Son and the Holy Ghost, be glory and power and majesty forever and ever. Amen. The Catechetical Lectures of St. Cyril, Archbishop of Jerusalem. Twentieth Lecture. The Second Mystagogical Catechesis. From the Epistle of the Blessed Apostle Paul to the Romans. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? For ye are not under the law, but under grace. These daily introductions into the mysteries and new instructions, which are the announcements of new truths, are profitable to us. And most of all to you who have been renewed from an old state to a new. Therefore I shall necessarily lay before you the sequel of yesterday's lecture, that ye may learn of what those things which were done by you in the inner chamber were symbolical. As soon, then, as ye entered, ye put off your tunic. And this was an image of putting off the old man with his deeds. Having stripped yourselves, ye were naked. And this also imitating Christ, who was stripped naked on the cross, and by his nakedness put off from himself the principalities and powers, and openly triumphed over them on the tree. For since the adverse powers made their lair in your members, ye may no longer wear that old garment. I do not at all mean this visible one, but the old man which waxeth corrupt in the lusts of deceit. May the soul which has once put him off never again put him on, but say with the spouse of Christ in the Song of Songs, I've put off my garment, how shall I put it on? O oh, wondrous thing, ye were naked in the sight of all, and were not ashamed. For truly ye bore the likeness of the first-formed Adam, who was naked in the garden, and was not ashamed. Then, when ye were stripped, ye were anointed with exorcised oil, from the very hairs of your head to your feet, and were made partakers of the good olive tree, Jesus Christ. For ye were cut off from the wild olive tree, and grafted into the good one, and were made to share the fatness of the true olive tree. The exorcised oil, therefore, was a symbol of the participation of the fatness of Christ, being a charm to drive away every trace of hostile influence. For as the breathing of the saints and the invocation of the name of God, like fiercest flames, scorch and drive out evil spirits, so also this exorcised oil receives such virtue by the invocation of God and by prayer, as not only to burn and cleanse away the traces of sins, but also to chase away all the invisible powers of the evil one. After these things, ye were led to the holy pool of divine baptism, as Christ was carried from the cross to the sepulchre which is before our eyes. 
And each of you was asked whether he believed in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And he made that saving confession and ascended three times into the water and ascended again, here also hinting by a symbol at the three days' burial of Christ. For as our Savior passed three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, so you also, in your first descent out of the water, represented the first day of Christ in the earth, and by your descent the night. For as he who is in the night no longer sees, but he who is in the day remains in the light, so in the descent, as in the night, ye saw nothing, but in ascending again ye were as in the day. And at the selfsame moment ye were both dying and being born. And that water of salvation was at once your grave and your mother. And what Solomon spoke of others will suit you also. For he said in that case, There is a time to bear and a time to die. But to you, in the reverse order, there was a time to die and a time to be born. And one and of the same time affected both of these, and your birth went hand in hand with your death. Oh, strange and inconceivable thing. We did not really die. We were not really buried. We were not really crucified and raised again. But our imitation was in a figure, and our salvation in reality. Christ was actually crucified, and actually buried, and truly rose again. And all these things he has freely bestowed upon us, that we, sharing his sufferings by imitation, might gain salvation in reality. O oh, surpassing loving kindness! Christ received nails in his undefiled hands and feet, and suffered anguish, while on me, without pain or toil, by the fellowship of his suffering, he freely bestows salvation. Let no one then suppose that baptism is merely the grace of remission of sins, or further, that of adoption. As John's was a baptism conferring only remission of sins, whereas we know full well that as it purges our sins and ministers to us the gift of the Holy Ghost, so also it is the counterpart of the sufferings of Christ. For this cause, Paul just now cried aloud and said, or are ye ignorant that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death. These words he spoke to some who were disposed to think that baptism ministers to us the remission of sins and adoption, but has not further the fellowship also by representation of Christ's true sufferings. In order, therefore, that we might learn that whatsoever things Christ endured for us and for our salvation, he suffered them in reality and not in appearance, and that we also are made partakers of his sufferings, Paul cried with all exactness of truth. For if we have been planted together with the likeness of his death, we shall be also with the likeness of his resurrection. Well has he said, planted together. For since the true vine was planted in this place, we also by partaking in the baptism of death have been planted together with him. And fix thy mind with much attention on the words of the apostle. 
He said not, for if we have been planted together with his death, but with the likeness of his death. For in Christ's case there was death in reality, for his soul was really separated from his body, and real burial, for his holy body was wrapped in pure linen, and everything happened really to him. But in your case there was only a likeness of death and sufferings, whereas of salvation there was not a likeness, but a reality. Having been sufficiently instructed in these things, keep them, I beseech you, in your remembrance, that I also, unworthy though I be, may say of you, Now I love you, because ye always remember me, and hold fast the traditions which I delivered unto you. And God, who has presented you as it were alive from the dead, is able to grant unto you to walk in newness of life, because his is the glory and the power, now and forever. Amen. The Catechetical Lectures of St. Cyril, Archbishop of Jerusalem. 21st Lecture The Third Mystagogical Catechesis From the First Epistle of the Blessed Apostle John But you have the unction from the Holy One, and know all things. I have not written to you as to them that know not the truth, but as to them that know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denieth that Jesus is the Christ? This is Antichrist, who denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son... The same hath not the Father. He that confesseth the Son hath the Father also. As for you, let that which you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning, you also shall abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he hath promised us, life everlasting. These things have I written to you concerning them that seduce you. And as for you, let the unction which you have received from him abide in you. You have no need that any man teach you, but as his unction teacheth you of all things, and is true, and is no lie. And as it hath taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be confounded by him at his coming. Having been baptized into Christ, and put on Christ, ye have been made conformable to the Son of God. For God, having foreordained us unto adoption as sons, made us to be conformed to the body of Christ's glory. Having therefore become partakers of Christ, ye are properly called Christ's, and of you God said, Touch not my Christ's, or anointed. Now, ye have been made Christ's by receiving the antitype of the Holy Ghost. And all things have been wrought in you by imitation, because ye are images of Christ. 
he washed in the river Jordan. And having imparted of the fragrance of his Godhead to the waters, he came up from them. And the Holy Ghost, in the fullness of his being, lighted on him, like resting upon like. And to you, in like manner, after you had come up from the pool of the sacred streams, there was given an unction, the antitype of that wherewith Christ was anointed. And this is the Holy Ghost, of whom also the blessed Isaiah, in his prophecy respecting him, said, in the person of the Lord, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me. He hath sent me to preach glad tidings to the poor. For Christ was not anointed by men with oil or material ointment, but the Father, having before appointed him to be the Savior of the whole world, anointed him with the Holy Ghost, as Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Ghost. David also the prophet cried, saying, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And as Christ was in reality crucified, and buried, and raised, and you are in baptism counted worthy of being crucified, buried, and raised together with him in a likeness, so it is with the unction also. As he was anointed with an ideal oil of gladness, that is, with the Holy Ghost, called oil of gladness, because he is the author of spiritual gladness, so ye were anointed with ointment, having been made partakers and fellows of Christ. But beware of supposing this to be plain ointment. For as the bread of the Eucharist, after the invocation of the Holy Ghost, is mere bread no longer but the body of Christ, so also this holy ointment is no more simple ointment, nor, so to say, common after invocation, but it is Christ's gift of grace, and by the advent of the Holy Ghost is made fit to impart his divine nature. Which ointment is symbolically applied to thy forehead and thy other senses? And while thy body is anointed with the visible ointment, thy soul is sanctified by the holy and life-giving Spirit. And ye were first anointed on the forehead, that ye might be delivered from the shame which the first man who transgressed bore about with him everywhere, and that with unveiled face ye might reflect as a mirror the glory of the Lord. Then on your ears, that ye might receive the ears which are quick to hear the divine mysteries, of which Isaiah said, The Lord gave me also an ear to hear, and the Lord Jesus in the gospel, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Then on the nostrils, that receiving the sacred ointment ye may say, We are to God a sweet savour of Christ in them that are saved. Afterwards on your breast, that having put on the breastplate of righteousness, ye may stand against the wiles of the devil. For as Christ, after his baptism and the visitation of the Holy Ghost, went forth and vanquished the adversary, 
So likewise ye, after holy baptism and the mystical chrism, having put on the whole armor of the Holy Ghost, are to stand against the power of the adversary and vanquish it, saying, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Having been counted worthy of this holy chrism, you ye are called Christians, verifying the name also by your new birth. For before you were deemed worthy of this grace, ye had properly no right to this title, but were advancing on your way towards being Christians. Moreover, you should know that in the old scripture there lies the symbol of this chrism. For what time Moses imparted to his brother the command of God and made him high priest, after bathing in water, he anointed him. And Aaron was called Christ, or anointed, evidently from the typical chrism. So also the high priest, in advancing Solomon to the kingdom, anointed him after he had bathed in Gihon. To them, however, these things happened in a figure, but to you not in a figure, but in truth, because ye were truly anointed by the Holy Ghost. Christ is the beginning of your salvation, for he is truly the first fruit, and ye the mass. But if the first fruit be holy, it is manifest that its holiness will pass to the mass also. Keep this unspotted, for, if, for it shall teach you all things, if it abide in you, as you have just heard declared by the blessed John, discoursing much concerning this unction. For this holy thing is a spiritual safeguard in the body and salvation of the soul. Of this the blessed Isaiah, prophesying of old times, said, And on this mountain, now he calls the church a mountain elsewhere also, is when he says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's house shall be manifest. On this mountain shall the Lord make unto all nations a feast. They shall drink wine, they shall drink gladness, they shall anoint themselves with ointment. And that he may make thee sure, hear what he says of this ointment as being mystical. Deliver all these things to the nations, for the counsel of the Lord is unto all nations. Having been anointed, therefore, with this holy ointment, keep it unspotted and unblemished in you, pressing forward by good works and being made well-pleasing to the captain of, of your salvation, Christ Jesus, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Catechetical Lectures of St. Cyril, Archbishop of Jerusalem. Twenty-second Lecture the fourth mystagogical catechesis. From the first epistle of Blessed Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and giving thanks, broke and said, Take ye and eat. This is my body, which shall be delivered for you. This do for the commemoration of me. In like manner also the chalice, after he had supped, saying, This chalice is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as often as you shall drink, for the commemoration of me. 
For as often as you shall eat this bread and drink the chalice, you shall show the death of the Lord until he come. Even of itself, the teaching of the blessed Paul is sufficient to give you a full assurance concerning those divine mysteries, of which, having been deemed worthy, ye are become of the same body and blood with Christ. For you have just heard him say distinctly that our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And having taken the cup and given thanks, he said, Take, drink, this is my blood. Since then, he himself declared and said of the bread, This is my body. Who shall dare to doubt any longer? And since he has himself affirmed and said, This is my blood, who shall ever hesitate, saying that it is not his blood? He once in Cana of Galilee turned the water into wine, akin to blood, and it is incredible that he should have turned wine into blood. When called to a bodily marriage, he miraculously wrought that wonderful work, and on the children of the bride chamber, shall he not much rather be acknowledged to have bestowed the fruition of his body and blood? Wherefore, with full assurance, let us partake as of the body and blood of Christ. For in the figure of bread is given to thee his body, and in the figure of wine his blood that thou by partaking the body and blood of Christ mayest be made of the same body and the same blood with him. For thus we come to bear Christ in us, because his body and blood are distributed through our members. Thus it is that according to the blessed Peter, we become partakers of the divine nature. Christ, on a certain occasion discoursing with the Jews, said, Except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, ye have no life in you. They, not having heard his saying in a spiritual sense, were offended and went back, supposing that he was inviting them to eat flesh. In the Old Testament also there was showbread, but this, as it belonged to the Old Testament, has come to an end. But in the New Testament there is bread of heaven, and a cup of salvation, sanctifying soul and body. For as the bread corresponds to our body, so is the word appropriate to our soul. Consider, therefore, the bread and the wine, not as bare elements, for they are, according to the Lord's declaration, the body and blood of Christ. For even though sense suggests this to thee, Yet let faith establish thee. Judge not the matter from the taste, but from faith be fully assured without misgiving that the body and blood of Christ have been vouchsafed to thee. Also the blessed David shall advise thee the meaning of this, saying, Thou hast prepared a table before me in the presence of them that afflict me. What he says is to this effect. Before thy coming, the evil spirits prepared a table for men, 
polluted and defiled and full of devilish influence. But since thy coming, O Lord, thou hast prepared a table before me. When the man says to God, Thou hast prepared before me a table, what other does he indicate but that mystical and spiritual table which God hath prepared for us over against, that is, contrary and in opposition to the evil spirits? And very truly, for that had communion with devils, but this with God. Thou hast anointed my head with oil. With oil he anointed thine head upon thy forehead, the seal which thou hast of God, that thou mayest be made the engraving of the signet, holiness unto God. And thy cup intoxicateth me as very strong. Thou seest that the cup here spoken of, of which Jesus took in his hands, and gave thanks, and said, This is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Therefore Solomon also, hinting at this grace, says in Ecclesiastes, Come hither, eat thy bread with joy, that is, the spiritual bread. Come hither, he calls with the call to salvation and blessing. And drink thy wine with a merry heart, that is, the spiritual wine. And let oil be poured out upon thy head. Thou seest he alludes even to the mystic chrism. And let thy garments be always white, for the Lord is well pleased with thy works. For before thou camest to baptism, thy works were vanity of vanities. But now, having put off thy old garments, and put on those which are spiritually white, Thou must be continually robed in white. Of course, we mean not this, that thou art always to wear white raiment. But thou must be clad in the garments that are truly white and shining and spiritual, that thou mayest say with the blessed Isaiah, My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garment of salvation and put a robe of gladness around me. Having learnt these things, and been fully assured that the seeming bread is not bread, though sensible to taste, but the body of Christ, and that the seeming wine is not wine, though the taste will have it so, but the blood of Christ, and that of this David, son of old, saying, And bread strengtheneth man's heart to make his face to shine with oil. Strengthen thou thine heart by partaking thereof as spiritual, and make the face of thy soul to shine. And so having it unveiled with a pure conscience, mayest thou reflect as a mirror the glory of the Lord, and proceed from glory to glory in Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom be honor and might and glory for ever and ever. Amen. The Catechetical Lectures of St. Cyril Archbishop of Jerusalem, 23rd Lecture, the Fifth Mystagogical Catechesis. From the First Epistle of Blessed Peter the Apostle. Wherefore, laying away all malice and all guile and dissimulations and envies and all detractions, as newborn babes desire the rational milk without guile, that thereby you may grow unto salvation. If so be you have tasted that the Lord is sweet, unto whom coming as to a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen and made honorable by God. Be you also as living stones built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. By the loving kindness of God, ye have heard sufficiently at our former meetings concerning baptism and chrism and partaking of the body and blood of Christ. And now it is necessary to pass on to what is next in order, meaning today, to set the crown on the spiritual building of your edification. Ye have seen then the deacon who gives to the priest water to wash, and to the presbyters who stand round God's altar. He gave it not at all because of bodily defilement. It is not that. For we did not enter the church at first with defiled bodies. But the washing of hands is a symbol that ye ought to be pure from all sinful and unlawful deeds. For since the hands are a symbol of action, by washing them it is evident we represent the purity and blamelessness of our conduct. Didst thou not hear the blessed David opening this very mystery and saying, I will wash my hands in innocency, and so will compass thine altar, O Lord. The washing, therefore, of hands is a symbol of immunity from sin. Then the deacon cries aloud, Receive ye one another, and let us kiss one another. Think not that this kiss is of the same character with those given in public by common friends. It is not such. But this kiss blends souls one with another, and courts entire forgiveness for them. The kiss, therefore, is the sign that our souls are mingled together, and banish all remembrance of wrongs. For this cause Christ said, If thou art offering thy gift at the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, then leave there thy gift upon the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. The kiss, therefore, is reconciliation, and for this reason holy, as blessed Paul somewhere cried, saying, Greet ye one another with a holy kiss, and Peter with a kiss of charity. After this the priest cries aloud, Lift up your hearts. For truly ought we in that most awful hour to have our heart on high with God, and not below, thinking of earth and earthly things. In effect, therefore, the priest bids all in that hour to dismiss all cares of this life, or household anxieties, and to have their heart in heaven with the merciful God. Then ye answer, We lift them up unto the Lord, assenting to it by your avowal. But let no one come here who could say with his mouth, We lift up our hearts unto the Lord, but in his thoughts have his mind concerned with the cares of this life. At all times, rather, God should be in our memory, but if this is impossible by reason of human infirmity, in that hour above all this should be our earnest endeavor. Then the priest says, let us give thanks unto the Lord. For verily we are bound to give thanks, 
that he called us, unworthy as we were, to so great grace, that he reconciled us when we were his foes, that he vouchsafed to us the spirit of adoption. Then ye say, it is meet and right. For in giving thanks, we do a meet thing and a right. But he did not right, but more than right, in doing us good and counting us meet for such great benefits. After this, we make mention of heaven and earth and sea, of sun and moon, of stars and all the creation, rational and irrational, visible and invisible, of angels, archangels, virtues, dominions, principalities, powers, thrones, of the cherubim with the many faces, in effect repeating that call of David's, magnify the Lord with me. We make mention also of the seraphim, whom Isaiah in the Holy Spirit saw standing around the throne of God, and with two of their wings veiling their face, and with twain their feet, while with twain they did fly, crying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of Sabaoth. For the reason of our reciting this confession of God, delivered down to us from the seraphim, is this, that so we may be partakers with the hosts of the world above in their hymn of praise. Then, having sanctified ourselves by these spiritual hymns, we beseech the merciful God to send forth his Holy Spirit upon the gifts lying before him, that he may make the bread the body of Christ, and the wine the blood of Christ, that whatsoever the Holy Ghost has touched is surely sanctified and changed. Then, after the spiritual sacrifice, the bloodless service is completed. Over that sacrifice of propitiation we entreat God for the common peace of the churches, for the welfare of the world, for kings, for soldiers and allies, for the sick, for the afflicted, and, in a word, for all who stand in need of succor, we all pray and offer this sacrifice. Then we commemorate also those who have fallen asleep before us. First, patriarchs and prophets, apostles, martyrs, that at their prayers and intercessions, God would receive our petition. Then on behalf also of the Holy Fathers and bishops who have fallen asleep before us, and in a word of all who in past years have fallen asleep among us, believing that it will be a very great benefit to the souls for whom the supplication is put up, while that holy and most awful sacrifice is set forth. And I wish to persuade you by an illustration, for I know that many say, what is a soul profited which departs from this world either with sins or without sins if it be commemorated in the prayer? For if a king were to banish certain who had given him offense, and then those who belong to them should weave a crown and offer it to him on behalf of those under punishment, would he not grant a remission of their penalties? In the same way, we, when we offer to him our supplications for those who have fallen asleep, though they be sinners, weave no crown but offer up Christ, sacrificed for our sins, propitiating our merciful God for them as well as for ourselves. Then, after these things, we say that prayer which the Savior delivered to his own disciples with a pure conscience 
entitling God our Father and saying, Our Father which art in heaven, O most surpassing loving kindness of God, on them who revolted from him and were in the very extreme of misery, he has bestowed such a complete forgiveness of evil deeds and so great a participation of grace as that they should even call him Father. Our Father which art in heaven, and they also are a heaven who bear the image of the heavenly, in whom is God dwelling and walking in them. Hallowed be thy name. The name of God is in its nature holy, whether we say so or not. But since it is sometimes profaned among sinners, according to the words, through you my name is continually blasphemed among the Gentiles, we pray that in us God's name may be hallowed, not that it comes to be holy from not being holy, but because it becomes holy in us when we are made holy and do things worthy of holiness. Thy kingdom come. A pure soul can say with boldness, Thy kingdom come. For he who has heard Paul saying, Let not therefore sin reign in your mortal body, and has cleansed himself in deed and thought and word, will say to God, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. God's divine and blessed angels do the will of God, as David said in the psalm, Bless the Lord, all ye angels of his, mighty in strength that do his pleasure. So then, in effect, thou meanest this by the prayer, As in the angels thy will is done, so likewise be it done on earth in me, O Lord. Give us this day our substantial bread. This common bread is not substantial bread, but this holy bread is substantial, that is, appointed for the substance of the soul. For this bread goeth not into the belly and is cast out into the draught, but is distributed into the whole system for the benefit of body and soul. But by this day he means each day, as also Paul said, while it is called today. And forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. For we have many sins. For we offend both in word and in thought, and very many things we do worthy of condemnation. And if we say that we have no sin, we lie, as John says. And we make a covenant with God, entreating him to forgive us our sins, as we also forgive our neighbors their debts. Considering then what we receive, and in return for what, let us not put off nor delay to forgive one another. The offenses, we commit, the offenses committed against us are slight and trivial, and easily settled. But those which we have committed against God are great, and need such mercy as his only is. Take heed, therefore, lest for the slight and trivial sins against thee thou shut out for thyself forgiveness from God for thy very grievous sins. And lead us not into temptation, O Lord, 
Is this then what the Lord teaches us to pray, that we may not be tempted at all? How then is it said elsewhere, a man untempted is a man unproved? And again, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. But does perchance the entering into temptation mean the being overwhelmed by the temptation? For temptation is, as it were, like a winter torrent difficult to cross. Those, therefore, who are not overwhelmed in temptations pass through, showing themselves excellent swimmers and not being swept away by them at all, while those who are not such enter into them and are overwhelmed. As, for example, Judas, having entered into the temptation of the love of money, swam not through it, but was overwhelmed and was strangled both in body and spirit. Peter entered into the temptation of the denial. But having entered, he was not overwhelmed by it, but manfully swam through it and was delivered from the temptation. Listen again in another place to a company of unscathed saints, giving thanks for the deliverance from temptation. Thou, O God, hast proved us. Thou hast tried us by fire like as silver is tried. Thou broughtest us into the net. Thou layedst afflictions upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, and thou broughtest us out into a place of rest. Thou seest them speaking boldly in regard to their having passed through and not been pierced. But thou broughtest us out into a place of rest. Now their coming into a place of rest is their being delivered from temptation. But deliver us from the evil. If lead us not into temptation implied the not being tempted at all, he would not have said, but deliver us from the evil. Now evil is our adversary, the devil, from whom we pray to be delivered. Then, after completing the prayer, thou sayest, Amen. By this Amen, which means, so be it setting thy seal to the petitions of the divinely taught prayer. After this, the priest says, Holy things to holy men. Holy are the gifts presented, having received the visitation of the Holy Ghost. Holy are ye also, having been deemed worthy of the Holy Ghost. The holy things, therefore, correspond to the holy persons. Then ye say, one is holy, one is the Lord Jesus Christ. For one is truly holy, by nature holy. We too are holy, but not by nature, only by participation and discipline and prayer. After this, ye hear the chanter inviting you with the sacred melody to the communion of the holy mysteries and saying, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Trust not the judgment to thy bodily palate, no, but to faith unfaltering. For they who taste are bidden to taste not bread and wine, but the antitypical body and blood of Christ. In approaching, therefore, come not with thy wrists extended or thy fingers spread, but make thy left hand a throne for the right as for that which is to receive a king. 
and having hollowed thy palm, receive the body of Christ, saying over it, Amen. So then, after having carefully hallowed thine eyes by the touch of the holy body, partake of it, giving heed lest thou lose any portion thereof. For whatever thou losest is evidently a great loss to thee, as it were, from one of thine own members. For tell me, if any one gave thee grains of gold, wouldst thou not hold them with all carefulness, being on thy guard against losing any of them and suffering loss? Wilt thou not then much more carefully keep watch, that not a crumb fall from thee of what is more precious than gold and precious stones? Then, after thou hast partaken of the body of Christ, draw near also to the cup of his blood, not stretching forth thine hands, but bending, and saying with an air of worship and reverence, Amen. Hallow thyself by partaking also of the blood of Christ. And while the moisture is still upon thy lips, touch it with thine hands, and hallow thine eyes and brow and the other organs of sense. Then wait for the prayer, and give thanks unto God, who hath accounted thee worthy of so great mysteries. Hold fast these traditions undefiled, and keep yourselves free from offense. Sever not yourselves from the communion. Deprive not yourselves through the pollution of sins of these holy and spiritual mysteries. And the God of peace sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved entire without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and honor and might with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and ever and world without end. Amen.